Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Uh, but man, we're, we're, we're excited that you're with us. If you are a guest in our house today, uh, we just we hope that you feel welcome from the moment really you got here. So when you pulled into our parking lot, whether you're here in Montgomery Valley, you just felt like you were, you were a part of what's going on here uh, from the moment that you, you arrived. Uh, we were in the middle of a sermon series, kind of coming in for a landing last week. And so if you weren't here, we were going through the story of Samson. And uh, I told you last week, I said, we're going to land that, 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 that airplane, whatever, and we're going to talk about Samson and Delilah, the, the really the most important, significant, popular part of the story of Samson. And then I said, the week after, we're going to start a sermon series called Church for the Ill. And then I went into the office on Monday, and we looked at the schedule of the World Series. And I was like, if I wait to start this sermon series till next week and the Phillies lose, I'm going to have to table this thing for another decade. And I don't want to do that. And so I said, I, we said, let, let's, let's just maybe, maybe hold off, do, do, do Samson later. Maybe we'll go to a whole relationship series in February and kind of jump, jump into something like that. And let's just jump right in while the iron is, is hot, so to speak, uh, into this sermon series that we've had on the table since 2011. And so 2011, Philly started wearing these the shirts, the, the fans did, that said ill on it. You guys ever seen those? And they, they've been around for a few years. And I was like, man, that would be a really cool title for a sermon series. And we'll do it the next time the Phillies are good. And here we are. I was 30 years old. I'm 43 now. And so, so we are not missing this. We're jumping right in. If you're mad that I didn't talk about relationships, deal with it. And so it might be one of the reasons why you're single still. And so uh, if you're mad. And so anyway, uh, we're going to jump into this sermon series. And some of you are like, well, that's great. You're going to talk about the Phillies. You know, how is that biblical, right? And so, uh, and how is that right? And so I want to kind of show you where the, where the basis of the, the, the sermon series idea came from. Because it came from reading through the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, listening to the, the words of Christ, uh, digging into his heart for people. And uh, one of the things that was confusing about the early people, church people, when Jesus came, is uh, who Jesus kind of hung out with. Who he was around, who he associated with, they had a problem with that a lot of the times. And I, I, I tend to see that happening even in the modern church. Like you see some churches, you know, all of us, we could say, well, these are the type of people that, that God would like, and here's the type of people that God wouldn't like. And I found that if you're, you're you know, putting yourself into, the, into the, 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 the group that God would like, it's like calling yourself humble, right? You're probably not the right, like it's just not the right bent to be taken. But people do it all the time, and you look at it, and you go, okay, I'm the good people, this is the bad people. And people have been doing that forever. So in the very beginning when Jesus comes, they have a problem with who he hangs out with. So Jesus was constantly kind of dropping the mic on them. He was saying things that they fully didn't understand that would have probably made them mad. And one of the, one of the times he said this in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse number 9, it plays out like this. The Bible says that Jesus went on from there, that he ran into a man named Matthew sitting at, at a tax collector's booth. All you need to know about Matthew is nobody liked Matthew. Nobody liked Matthew, just like most people don't like the IRS. Like nobody's excited when the IRS comes to your door. Like they, nobody liked Matthew, and because nobody liked him, he would not have been allowed in the in the in the in the in the temple. And here's why: because he was a Jewish man working for the hated Romans, stealing money from the, the, the Jewish people to pay taxes to the Romans. And what he was doing is he was adding some for him. So he was getting rich off the poverty of, of his of his fellow 
countrymen. So people hated him. So if Jesus comes and it's, you know, who are you going to hang out with? Matthew's not one of them. The Bible says that he sees Matthew and he says, follow me, which means I accept you. I want you to come be part of this thing. I want you to, I want you to hang out with me. Right? The Bible says he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. A lot of people there, most of them didn't go to church or temple on, on Saturday. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the typical people. The Bible says the Pharisees, who were the typical church people, see this and ask his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with sinners, tax collectors, you know, all these people? On hearing this, Jesus answers. I love this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I, I didn't come, he says, to call the righteous. I came to save sinners. In other words, what he's trying to say is, I came for the ill. I don't know what type of church you've been in before, but what I found is oftentimes the reputation of the church is different than the person that I read in Scripture, Jesus. That Jesus was accepting, that Jesus was welcoming, that Jesus welcomed people that, quite honestly, would have never gone to church before in their life, that were kind of outcasts, that were kind of unwanted, that he welcomed them while the church people who were there every, every week were, were angry, saying they're not the type of people that we should associate with, they're not going to make us look good. And what ends up happening is because of many of our experiences, we begin to assume certain things about church people, like you think, oh, I can't go to church, they have it all together. I can't go to church. I'm a single mom and like everybody there is married and just whistles their way to church, right? Like they're just been married for years. No divorced people there. I've had a past in addiction. I can't go to church. There's everybody there. They came from a perfect home, had perfect lives, got perfect educations, never even put sugar into their body, much less a, a drug. Like we're, I don't know our church. And so like they, you know, I can't go there. I can't go there. I don't talk right. I don't look right. I don't act right. I can't be a part of, of that. And you show up maybe with that understanding and that mentality of church. And so what I want to do is I want to build a new understanding of what this thing is all about. When I say we're a church for the ill, what I mean is that we just want to be a church that reflects the nature and the heart of, of Jesus Christ. We want you to understand that when you come here and you don't have it all together, that that's okay. It's okay. That if, you, if you're struggling with addiction, that's okay. Like, I, I know that the whole Me Too thing was kind of a big deal culturally, but the truth is the church was the first Me Too movement, right? Like, you, you come from a, a divorced home? Me too. You come from a history of addiction? Me, me too. You, you struggled in, 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 with lust and pornography? Me, me too. You, you cursed yesterday? Me, me too, right? Like, you, 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 you struggle with forgiveness? Me too. Like, we, we're in the same boat as you. Maybe what makes us different is we've been invited to this party called the church, started by a man named Jesus who came for the sick, not the, not the healthy. So I want to take you through just, I would call them gospel messages. Every once in a while, uh, I, just, I just want to talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Keep it really simple, right? We're from Philly, so what's more fitting than just keeping it simple, right? Let's just keep it, let's just keep it, keep it easy to understand, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to talk to you on different topics that I think sometimes people are confused that if they struggle with these, that it's okay for them to be in church. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all together. So today I want to I start off with talking to you on the topic of shame. Shame. It's a, kind of a heavy one. Next week I want to talk to you on the topic of trust. Anybody have any trust issues here? That one's going to be very close to my heart because I trust nobody. You think I'm playing? I just, I just don't. 
I don't know if it's because of from Philly. I don't know if it's because of past hurts. But let every person I meet, I meet you with an agenda. How long am I going to be able to trust you without you hurting me? Which, by the way, then is reflected in my relationship with God. Okay, it's going good, but you're going to let me down eventually. You're like, yeah, maybe, maybe you for, like, eventually you're going you're to turn your back on me. And so I want to talk to you about trust. But today I want to talk to you on the topic of shame. Here, here's the definition of shame at, at, its, at its simplest form, the definition of shame. The Bible says shame is a pain, or not the Bible, the, 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 the dictionary, sorry, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I want to read it to you again. What a shame. It's a painful feeling of feeling humiliated or distressed caused by our conscious awareness of something stupid or wrong that we've done. A fear of getting caught. A fear of somebody actually knowing who we really are. Like, here's who I am to everybody that sees me, but there's somebody else that I really am that I don't want anybody else to know about. Shame. Uh, this, 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 this morning I experienced a little bit of, of shame in my life. And, uh, so every, every morning before you come to church, you do natural things, bathe, stuff like that. And so, uh, so I was bathing, showering and, uh, you know, men and women, if you're married, we, we, we shower and bathe differently. Anybody tracking with me? Like men have a few things, right? And we, as long as we find some form of something that smells good, we're clean. Right. And so you get, the, you get the shampoo, you wash your whole body, soap, wash your whole body, conditioner, same thing as shampoo. Like, it's just, just get clean, right? Get under the water, get clean. That, that's how men bathe. But women don't bathe like that. Women, women have something for everything, right? And so, like, in my shower, there's two little, 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 little uh, shelves, right? And there's probably three things in there for me and 1,700 things in there for Leah. And so, and listen, before I married Leah, I was a suave guy. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, I just went and got, what's cheapest shampoo? Suave, right? Like you just get suave. But as you, as you get married, you begin to realize like my wife, her mom's a hairdresser, so she doesn't use suave. Suave, she laughs at suave, right? And she just, she's like, you don't use suave? And I'm like, what about Pert Plus or something like that? She's like, no, you get it from the, you get it from the, 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 the salon and it, you know, it costs $4,700 and it's, you know, it does this and it has papaya in it and all this stuff. And, and so she's informed me over the past, this stuff's expensive, you use your suave, right? You, it was good enough for you for we got married, it's good enough for you now. But every once in a while, I'll get in the shower and I'll be like interested because I'm a guy, I'm looking around at stuff and you know, I, I see her process and my process. My process looks a little bit different. And so I'll see something in the shower and I'm like, I should use that. But she's told me in the years, in your past, it's expensive, you use your stuff, right? And so today I got in the shower, I thought she was done. And so she walked out and, and she was doing her thing and she's, she has this stuff in the shower. It's this face wash. And usually I just wash my, my, my face with whatever I have in my hair, right? It just kind of comes down and it's fine. And so I was like, I just, you know, I got a couple zits on my forehead and maybe this will help me. I'm not taking care of my skin and I'm 43. And so a few, few days ago, like seven, eight days ago, I hope she's not in here. I squirted it in my hand and I liked it. And so when she leaves, I started taking her stuff every day. When she's not in there, I look and see if the door's open, and I put some in my hand, and I quick wash my thing, I put it back up there. And I'll do what my boys do. When you ask them if you've been using it, you'll say, no, no, right? And so today, I, she left, and I thought she was done. And, you know, sometimes on Sunday morning, she's picking out clothes, and she'll do the white thing. She'll bring it over and say, which one do you like? I didn't think we were doing that today. And so I, was in, I got in the shower, put the stuff on my face. I'm washing my face all off and doing this stuff. And I take it off. I'm like rinsing off my face, and I turn, and she's standing there like this. <laughs> she said, what are you doing? 
And I said, how long have you been in here? Depends, right? She said, are you using my face wash? And I said, no, right? She said, I know you're using my face wash. I can smell it. And I said, yeah, I just wanted to try it out. She said, how long have you been using my face wash? I'm not telling her seven days. Today. This is the first time you caught me, right? And I just remember, like, I turned, and you could just see the. That's shame. And, and it. In a very lighthearted way. Shame is, is the things that have been done to you, the things you've done, where you are constantly fearing the reaction of other people. Going, if you only knew this about me. And, and here's the thing about shame, why it's so devastating to your, to, to your walk with the Lord, um, or you even getting to know Jesus, is shame is a separator. That, that's why Satan, who's your enemy, absolutely loves shame. Because shame will separate you from the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And the problem with shame is shame was never supposed to be part of our lives. In the very beginning of the Bible, you can read about it, Genesis chapter 2. We've, we've talked about this before because I think this is a huge problem. I think shame is a huge black eye spiritually on most of our lives. We don't even know it. But in the very beginning of creation, the Bible says that it was perfect. Man and woman were there, right? The creation was there. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, right? I love that. Underline that part if you're a married person. And they felt no, everybody tell me what they felt. They felt no what? They felt no shame. They're naked, which, you know, symbolically is what it feels like to not have shame, People know me, they see me, they, they see the worst parts of my life, they've, they've dealt with those, they're not embarrassed of me, they're, they're, they're not sick of me, they're not turned off by, by me, I'm naked and, here's the, and I don't feel any, any shame. Why? Because shame is a separator. Here's what happens. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve eat of a tree that God told them not to eat of. And as soon as they eat of this tree, biblically, shame, which is a separator, enters the world. And I want, to, I want you to see how the Bible describes it. Genesis chapter 3, here's what the Bible says in verse number 7. Then the eyes of them were both opened. That's the beginning of shame. Somebody said something to me. Somebody did something to me. Somebody made me feel this way. I messed this up. I hear my, my eyes have been opened to my to my disgustingness. My eyes have been opened to my mistakes. Their eyes were both open, the Bible says, and they realized they were both naked. So what did they do? They do what we all do in shame. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They wanted to cover themselves up. They wanted to hide, right? The, the Bible says that the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as they were walking in the garden of the day. And so they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. I, don't, I can't be near God because if God sees what I've done, he's going to be mad at me. So I'm going to stay away from God. I'm going to hide myself. The Bible goes on to say, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Here's what the man answered. He said, I heard you coming, but I was afraid. Those are the, those are the results of shame. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to live in fear. Shame is a separator. So here, here's why Satan loves it. He loves to get you living in shame because it keeps you away from the Lord. And here's how he does it. I'm going to tell you exactly how he does it. He's not creative at all. I've been talking about this for years when it comes to the gospel and shame. I've been given the same cycle because it's, it's not creative, right? It's really consistent. When you can get to know how, how, the, how Satan and the Lord works, they're both consistent, right? Like you get to know, okay, this is, this is how he works. Here, I'm going to show you how he consistently births shame in our lives. The first thing is this, is you and me in our 
our lives, this is probably really, really, really easy for you to understand. You're going to experience something deeply painful in your life. Multiple areas. It, it, could be, it could be from your childhood, and I would say it could be most of us. It's from our childhood. I don't know what it is. Somebody has said something to you. Maybe it was abuse, physical, sexual, verbal. You experienced something deeply painful. Maybe you got cut from a team, a sports team. Somebody didn't want you. Maybe unknowingly a parent or a teacher or somebody who was above you spoke something really negative into your life and you took it and owned it. Maybe it was something you did. Maybe from an early age you started struggling with, with, with abuse and uh, you started struggling emotionally and, and internally with your sexuality and you started looking at pornography from a very young age and now for, you're old and man, you are struggling and there's shame there. I'm not sure. I mean, we could just talk like there's just shame. We just carry around the shame of memories from our childhood. As you've gotten older, some of you, your shame is found in your failure. Like you, you try something, maybe for some of you it's, it's marriage, and man, it just ended badly. Like it just ended in divorce. You weren't what you were supposed to be. They weren't what you thought they would be, and it ended in divorce, and now you sit here in, in shame. Some of you, it's debt. Like you started something, you, it was going well, and it's struggling and failing, and you're carrying around a heavy amount of financial debt, and you're just, it's shame. Like if you're just honest with yourself, you feel like you just screwed up your life, your family's life, shame. Some of you, because of your childhood, you began to develop a really low, inse- a l- low security. You were very insecure when it comes to your body, your value of yourself, and you've given yourself away, starting from a young age, 13, 14, 16, 17, years old sexually to other people and now you feel a heavy amount of shame because you feel like a washed up used up nothing shame you experience something deeply painful in your life some of you the only way for you to protect your shame is to lie and to cheat and you just keep lying and cheating to hide it and so you just shame's getting worse and satan loves this why shame separates. So first thing is you're going to experience something ridiculously painful in your life. Then what he'll do is he'll connect what happened to you with who you are as a person. So you won't, you won't, you won't be a, uh, somebody who messed up. You'll be messed up. You see the difference? You won't, won't be somebody who failed because here's the thing about it. One thing that all of us can agree on is we've all failed from in our life. We've all fallen. We've all messed up. You won't be somebody who's failed. You'll be a failure. You, 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 you won't be somebody who's met. You'll be messed up, right? Like this is you. You'll take something you've done that's painful and you'll connect it with who you are in this moment and you'll begin to hear these words, shame, I'm bad. I'm a horrible person because of what I've done. I can never get over this. I'm going to take something that helped or hurt me on the outside and I'm going to connect it to the person that I am on the inside. Satan absolutely loves when he gets you here and here's why. Here's why. You can be in the midst of a room full of people like this, and you can put on a smiley, happy face, but the truth is you're in prison and tormented by the things that you've done. That's number three. He will imprison you, and he will torment you by your past. That's why shame is so powerful, because shame has no hope ties to it. And here's what I'll start to say. Nobody can help you. Don't talk about it. Cover it up. 
Smile. Hey, he might be talking to you right now. Keep that smile on your face. Look at your phone. You know, you go to your phone for everything. Every moment of insecurity, pull your phone out. I do it. If I'm standing in line waiting for my kids and I don't know anybody, I pull my phone out. Get your phone out. Pretend like it's not you. Pretend he's talking to the person down the road, road from you. Or you begin to hear the lies. He is talking to you. But the problem is everybody else around you has their life all figured out. And so it's just you in this big room. And I just want you to hear me clearly. There's more of us than we would probably even admit that are struggling deeply in shame. And shame is a separate, I want to show you this, it's a separator from God. It'll keep you from going into the fullness of who God wants you to be. And I want to show you this real quick. And I was, I was like, who, who struggled with shame to the point where it ended their life? I was like, oh yeah, Judas. Now I know like a lot of times you're like, oh, everybody knows Judas. You're like, oh yeah, Judas. He was the one that portrayed Jesus. Like people that don't even go to church. They're like, you don't name anybody Judas, right? Like Judah maybe, but Judas is like, no, no. Well, well I don't really know what happened, but I know he's not a good guy, right? And so I don't want to be Judas. And sometimes I think Judas gets a, bad, gets a bad rap. Like I think people look at Judas like Judas is so bad, but I look at all the disciples, I'm like, they were all jacked up, right? They, they, they were all messed up. But if you don't know the story of Judas, very end of Jesus' life, Judas said, Tells him out. He's mad at Jesus at the core because he loves money and Jesus is not handling money the way that he wants him to. And so he gets mad at Jesus. He begins to lose faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that he goes and he tells the, the religious leaders, I know where Jesus is at. If you pay me, I'll take you to him. And so they give him 30 silver, piece, 30 silver pieces uh, of, of coins and he takes them to Jesus and he sells Jesus out. The Bible says that when he gets to Jesus uh, in verse number, in Matthew 27, verse number three, it says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, watch what it says, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver pieces to the chief priests and elders. He, 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 he lived in shame. He was, he was seized, the Bible says. He says, I realize I've sinned and for I betrayed innocent blood. And they say this, what is that to us? That's your responsibility, which Satan loves. I feel so bad, okay? It's your responsibility. You, you figure it out. What, what does Judas go and do? The Bible says that Judas throws the money into the temple and he leaves. And then the Bible says he goes away and he hung himself. He hung himself. Why? Shame. He was convinced what I just did is unforgivable. What I just did is, is, is never going to be fixed. Jesus is never going to take me back because of what I've just said. He didn't know what was about to happen. He didn't know Jesus was going to the cross and he was dying for the sins of the world. He had lost faith in what Jesus said. But if he would have just understood Jesus was going to come back from the dead, he would have came and forgiven Judas just like he forgave Peter. But he was so convinced, man, I'm seized with this shame. I can't pay this off. I can't move forward that he literally went out and hung himself. And so I just, I want to, I just want to, if you're struggling like that, I want to just give you a few thoughts, really practical. I just call this, if you're sick of shame, because I am, I, I, I hate struggling with shame. I hate not moving past the way that I'm supposed to move past. Let me just give you three thoughts. Number one is this. If you're sick of shame, in your life, you got to begin to decide the truth. Tr truth is only true when you believe it to be true. Truth, truth will only affect you as true. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it's truth. You ever, you ever see that in your own life? Uh, it's Halloween. And so when I was 
12, 11, 10 years old, they had these movies coming out, these scary movies at my time uh, that are still scary to me today. Uh, but I remember the movie with Jason. You guys remember him? I don't even remember what it's called. He just wore that mask. And I was scared of that guy. And then I was scared of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the same guy was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so, so I just didn't watch those movies. And then uh, I remember uh, uh, Freddy Krueger. You guys remember Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street? And so that guy jacked me up. Like my parents, we didn't watch scary movies. And so I went to my friend's house. And you, you know, when, you, when you're a young person, that's where you get in trouble. And so I went to my friend's house. He's like, hey, you want to watch Friday the 13th? And I'm like, yes, because everybody else is talking about it at my school. And so I want to know about this. So I watched this, this, this movie and I, I, it, it messed me up so much. I regressed to being scared of the dark. Like I, I, my dad would come tuck me in and say goodnight. And, I was, and when he, I'd say, leave my door open. Which is funny because that's what Harry says to me. Every, leave my door open. And every night I close it playing with them. Dad, right? Like, and so I'm leaving my door. He's like, you're 13. I'm like, yeah, I made it some reason. That's what you do with shame, right? Yeah, like because it gets hot in here. And meanwhile, I'm in my bed. I'm sleeping with my covers all the way up my, my face. I made a little, little, a little like this around my nose, so I, like a snorkel so I could breathe. I covered my feet. I tucked it all the way down under my, my thing. And for months, I'm not playing, months, I was terrified. Because I believed a lie. What's a lie? Freddy Krueger's real. He's not real. Right? It wasn't real. But for me as a 13-year-old, and so some of you in your life, you believe things that are, that, that, are, that are lies, but you believe them as truth and they're affecting you as if they're true. You believe God can't clean that up. You believe God is sick of you. You believe God is disgusted by you. You, you believe your problem is too big. You believe it's different. Now you, you look around this room and you go, no, no, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand the mistakes that I've made. You look around, you go, everybody else has it all figured out. And I I just need to encourage you. You need to decide the, the, the truth because too many times we allow our feelings to lead us to a conclusion rather than God's truth. We need to allow God's truth. I like that. And so 2 Corinthians 10, the Bible says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Number one, you got to decide the truth. Here's number two. You got to discern the voice. You got to discern the, the, the voice in your head. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are constantly having a conversation with yourself. You are constantly hearing, hearing, hearing words. I, don't, I mean, we don't like to admit that. You might, you know, you might get in trouble. I, talk, I hear words. I hear voices, right? You know, you need some counseling then for that. But the truth is we all do. We all, we all allow ourselves, our past, our mistakes. They speak to us. And at some point in your life, if you want to walk through shame, not only do you have to decide the truth, because the Bible says truth will set you free. So, so, so the truth is, is, God will take you just like you are. In fact, uh, I read a quote this week. It said, uh, God doesn't need you, but he wants you. There's a difference. Being wanted is foundationally life-changing. He doesn't need you. He wants you. So you decide the truth. There's a God that loves me just as I am. The Bible says, while I was still a sinner, Christ was dying for me. I can read it in scripture, him meeting people just like me and changing me. I'm going to decide the truth. Then as I'm going through my life, I'm going to discern the voice in my head. And here, here's the difference because what some of you hear often is, is what the Bible calls condemnation. And condemnation is that voice in your head that tells you you're messed up. You made mistakes. There's no way out. You'll never get better. That pastor's full of crap. He's just speaking from some made-up book. He gets paid for this. He just wants your money. 
They have an agenda. Keep your head down, right? Don't, don't, like this, this is it. Stay away, right? This, this lies from Satan. You can't get better. He can't set you free. He can't forgive you. There's a different voice in your head though. It's, the Bible calls the voice of conviction. It's like a still soft voice. And that, that voice of conviction is coming to you going, yeah, you messed up. I got sugarcoated, man. You jacked your life up. You've made some serious mistakes. You, 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 you have let yourself down, man. You've, you've done some stuff. That's conviction. But here's what conviction says. But there's a God that can heal you, make you whole. There's a God that has a better way for your life. There's a God that can forgive you. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, you, it's dark right now. But there's a God that'll meet you in your darkest moments and bring you into the, what the Bible calls a marvelous light. There's a God that will set you free. There's a God that will heal you. There's a God that will save you. You listen to the right voice. You discern the voice. One voice says there's no way out. That's condemnation. No, no, he's full of it. There's no way out. Conviction says, yeah, you messed up, but I'm the way out. I can heal you. I can set you free. I can forgive you. I can redeem you. I can give you a new life. Discern the voice. Number three, number three, you're going to depend on grace. You're gonna, there's a shame, there's a grace that I would say that knows no shame in your life. The, the, the grace of, of God. I love how Paul says it in Romans 7, he would have understood this. He would have understood what I'm talking about, shame. Like he was a murderer. He had made all sorts of mistakes. And here's what he writes. He says, I find that this principle that is evil, that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good, he says, I wanna, I wanna do good, but I'm still doing evil. And if Paul's saying that, then me and you, we're up a creek without a paddle. Because Paul's got his life together. He says, even me, he says, I want to do the right thing, but there's this battle going on. He says, for I joyfully concur with the law in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. He says this in verse number 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Who can come and save me? And he lets us know. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What's the answer? It's, I love this. It's Jesus. Struggling with abuse in your life, shame, Jesus. You're struggling with the shame of divorce, guess what the answer is? It's Jesus. You're struggling with addiction in your life, man, you've, you've been an addict for as long as you can remember. You stay clean for a couple days, you go back to it, you keep telling yourself you're not going to go back, but if you're honest, you keep struggling. What's the answer in the shame of addiction? Do you guys know what it is? It's, there you go. You're struggling in pornography and addiction and lust and you just can't control it and you want so bad to. You actually cry yourself to sleep at night. You wouldn't believe how many men that I've spoken to in my life and they're in tears. I don't know what to do. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes I don't. My only answer, guess what? It's Jesus. The shame of hate in your life, the shame of resentment. Uh, it's Jesus. Like we, we can just keep giving examples and I can just keep telling you the same thing. It's Jesus. Here's the problem though, so many of us refuse to invite him into the messiest parts of our lives. We refuse. Because we're scared, because we listen to the wrong voices, we refuse, and here's what's happening. You refuse to invite Jesus in, and you keep trying to clean up the mess yourself, and I don't know if you have toddlers or kids or anything like that that has ever made a mess that was afraid of your reaction, so they try to clean it up themselves. Tell me what happens. It gets even worse. You are a toddler, you need Jesus. You can try to clean it up yourself. That's what Judas did. I don't know what to do. I'm going to try to pay it back. I'm going to try. I don't know if you ever noticed this. You try to pay back your past, but you just keep messing up. 
That's why the Bible says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. You got to invite them in. I don't know if you ever had a conversation. I'm going to close with this. A conversation with somebody, and they've said this to you. They said, uh, I, I can't be a good God. If there was a good God, he wouldn't let bad things happen in this world. Look at all around. There's all this suffering. You ever had that conversation? That's a really popular conversation. It can't be a good God. Wouldn't be suffering. And look at this. And I've had that conversation with people. And so uh, I've always been interested in how people respond to that. And uh, I read a story about this one time. This pastor was talking to his barber about, about God. And uh, they started meeting for, for coffee, talk about, talk about God outside of, of, of getting his hair cut. And, you know, the barber had a hard time. The reason the barber had a hard time is he just could not wrap his head around all the suffering in the world. If there's a good God, why is there so many people that are hurting? Why is there hungry kids in Africa? Why is there disease? If there was a good God, wouldn't he do something about that? If there was a good God, why are so many people struggling and depressed? If there was a good God, why would he do that? And the pastor was you know, I don't really know how to answer you. I can explain to you what the Bible says, but it's hard practically to answer that. Until one day he walked uh, down the street to go to the barber to get a haircut. And as he was walking down the street, uh, he noticed around the barbershop, right outside the barbershop was a few homeless men. Looked like they hadn't had their haircut for years. He walked into the barbershop. He had an aha moment. He sat down in the barber's chair and he started talking to the barber and they made small talk. And then he said, hey, uh, isn't that a shame out there? Those, 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 those homeless guys, they don't have haircuts, right? You're in here cutting hair and they don't have haircuts. Isn't it a shame that they, they, they look like that? Wouldn't it be better if there was a better barber on the street that would take care of them? And the barber became indignant. And here's what he said. That's not fair. If they would just come into this shop and ask me, I would clean them up. But they've never came in and asked me. That's not fair. And he says, that's how God is. If you would just invite me in, I'll come, I'll meet you, I'll meet you at your worst. I'll meet you in your most disgusting problems you have. I'm not embarrassed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. That's why I came. I didn't come for the healthy. I'm not impressed with all these church people. That doesn't impress me. I don't celebrate that. I came for the sick. I came for those not yet here. I came for the one sheep. There's 99 healthy sheep. I left the 99 and I came for the one. And so if you're in this room today and you don't know Christ and you're struggling with shame and it's weighing you down and you feel disgusting and you feel used up and you feel like nobody would ever want to touch you, be around you, know you, heal you, you never met Jesus. He'll take you just as you are. Here's the promise though. He's not going to leave you that way. He is the healer. He, he, he's the healer. He's the restorer. He's the one that sets us free. He's the forgiver. He's the redeemer. He's the one that brings grace. He's the one that brings a love that never leaves us or forsakes us. But here's what you, you got to ask him. You got to receive him in this moment. Would you stand to your feet all over this house? And if you're in Montgomeryville, would you stand right there with me? Maybe you're like that barber. Maybe, maybe it's never made sense to you before. Maybe you've never been able to conceptualize that thought. But as I spoke that simple illustration that you said, that's me. I've never invited God into my life. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Listen, friend, everything you're struggling with at the core, the answer is Jesus. That's the name above all names, the name by which all people may be saved, the name of Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe I'm speaking to you right now. You're like, I don't know what to do. I, I, you're talking to me. It's, it, it's true. Like, I'm struggling in shame, and I don't know what to do. 
It's easy. Give it to Jesus. Let me explain to you what the gospel says. The gospel at the core defined as good news. Good news. And here's what scripture says. Paul wrote this. He said, everyone has sinned. And everybody falls short of the glory of God. We're everyone, church. You're surrounded by people that know that. I'm a sinner. Everyone has sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and hell. That means uh, you live a life in proverbial hell. Like you're imprisoned by your, your life, your past, your mistakes, all those things. But very real, when you take your next breath after this life, the Bible says that because of our sin, that we deserve hell. I don't celebrate that. I don't yell that from a street corner. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. To think that Jesus, the work that he did in order to save us, and so many don't know yet. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and hell, but in Romans it says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone. I love those words. They're there on purpose. It didn't say for some. It didn't say for a select few. It says for anyone who calls on Jesus, the name above all names shall be saved. For if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on a cross for your sins, that he was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose in power and he defeated both death and hell, that if you would receive him, that he would come into your life, that he would meet you just where, you're, just where you are, that he would begin to heal you, that he would begin to make you whole, that he would begin, listen, he would come into parts of your life that you thought nobody would ever even want to be a part of. They would never even talk to, they would never even look at, that he would meet you in the darkest moments of your life. And he would begin to do what only he could do. Only Jesus can heal you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. It's not a relationship, there's not an accomplishment. There's not an act of revenge. Listen to me. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I just want to keep saying it. Only Jesus. And Jesus will meet you right here if you just receive him. Here I am. Here I am. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Heal me. Make me whole. We're going to do that all over this place. We're going to do that in Montgomeryville. There's so many of us in this room that would maybe say, I struggle with shame. It, it is a burden on my life. I'm a prisoner of my past. That's what I felt like. I'm constantly reminded of my failure. I feel like there's nothing good in my future because of the things that I have accomplished and done. But as you spoke, I can feel life coming back into these dry bones spiritually. I can feel hope. And today I know that Jesus is calling to me right now. He's knocking at the door of my heart. And today I need to let him into my life. I want to pray with you as we close all over our houses. But maybe you would say, hey, pastor, that's me. I'm struggling right now. And Jesus needs to be my Lord and my Savior. I know that. I feel that. Today I need to give him my life. I need to confess with my mouth. And I need to believe in my heart. And Jesus, if, if that's you all over our houses with every head bowed and every eye closed from front to back, side to side, and you say, hey, that's me, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, I'm responding to the gospel right now. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else who would say, hey, pastor, that's me. I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. 
Would you just keep your hand held high for just a few more seconds? Jesus, I want you to come into my life right now. If you're in Montgomeryville, maybe you would just keep your hand high right there, and they would let me know right here in Phoenixville. All over our houses, I want to pray with you. Maybe you would just pray something like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it all over. Jesus. There you go. Say, I love you. I thank you for setting me free. I thank you for healing me. I thank you for coming for me. Jesus, thank you right now that you're taking my shame and I'm no longer a prisoner of it. I'm leaving this place a free person. You're not ashamed of me. You're not embarrassed of me. Lord, you love me. Lord, when I understand that, everything about my life is going to change. Lord, as we celebrate that all over this place, Lord, Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. Here's what I pray, that you would just, Holy Spirit, right now, you would just produce a moment where it just feels like even those that know you, that struggle with their past, that struggle with their shame, Lord, that they're just being released from it, Lord, that something is being lifted from their shoulders, that they're leaving this place a brand new person. Lord, they're leaving free in you, Lord. That's what you've come for. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So I pray right now that you would just accomplish that, Lord. Lord, things that have been forgiven in our lives, let us hold true to Scripture, that it's been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That means you've forgotten about it. That means when we carry something, when we talk about it, when we think about it, that we're actually going back to something that you've gotten rid of. And so, Lord, we're thankful, Father, that we get to walk in freedom, in mercy, in comfort, in grace, Lord, and in love. Lord, thank you for all that. Thank you for what you're going to continue to do through these next few weeks of this sermon series. We love you. We love your gospel. We thank you that it's life-changing. We thank you that it sets people free. And we thank you that it's for every person that walks through these doors and every person that walks on this planet. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name you pray. Hey, one more time. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.